Hello and welcome to the Taffing Up podcast with myself, Daryl, and as always, Ian. And as you can tell, I'm very enthused, very, very happy to be doing this week's episode and not all wanting to uh, immediately end the recording and not continue any further. I think Ian's looking forward to it. I don't think I've ever heard you so... I'm genuinely concerned for your mental health. Is, is there any <laughs> rope in the room? You're not going to hang yourself, are you? Uh, there's a tie. Well, uh, at least wait an hour or so. You do know what I mean? Do it after the podcast. But um... oh, Yeah, I'll wait an hour so that you can get your licks in and take piss out of me a bit more and just ruin me week. Having thrashed me at pool earlier today. and Been a fucking pretty good week as weeks go, hasn't it? For, Disagree. For me, I, don't, I don't know if I could think of a fucking better week, if I'm honest with you. I mean... Apart from winning the lottery, I could about as good as it gets for fucking me, I tell you. I think I honestly think probably about one more bad thing happening to me from completely just nuking the podcast, never speaking to you again, and just going AWOL and no one would ever see me again this week. I genuinely felt sorry for you at Paul earlier, getting thrashed four <laughs> 0 like you, I've never seen you look so stroppy and moody and disheartened like dejection yeah. that's sort of stroppy crushed, crushed just, as a human being is how you i'm at the point where nothing is going my way at this point in time sporting wise it couldn't be lower i've seemed to have lost my ability to pull off the uh ronnie o'sullivan shots that i'm clearly used to um confidence has gone everything's gone people giving you compliments saying that you look massive from gym i'm walking around like a Twiglet. Oh, I wasn't even going to mention it, but three compliments in fucking two days, mate. But yeah, I wasn't. I was going to keep that quiet because I thought that might tip you over the edge. But I'm cautious. I'm sure you were going to keep it quiet. I'm cautious. Obviously, you those bench presses and that massive chest and arms of mine now are, are starting to pay off. But um... it's what happens for winners, isn't it? People who win all the time get the compliments, get the look, get the ladies, everything. Uh, I can't. What can I say? Winning at life. Let's just get our car. The quicker we get this finished, the, the quicker I can go and play in traffic car. So, Leeds played Liverpool we, within the last week. Football, we? oh, Leeds played Liverpool within the last week. <laughs> and, uh, it, yeah, it didn't go well. For, for me, obviously, for half of the podcast. For the other half, I think it went very, very well. Um, Yeah, I, I'm, I'm trying not to be as smug as particularly possible particularly remembering how smug you were when you beat us at uh, 2-1 at Anfield but um, if we're breaking it down and I'm not being smug and we're looking at it pragmatically I'll have a breakdown I thought Leeds set up quite well in the first 40 minutes you could see there was a very clear game plan which was play very deep let Liverpool have the ball I mean Liverpool I think had 70 odd 75% possession Leeds did look relatively dangerous on the break. Rodrigo had one header in particular that he probably should have scored. Certainly done better than just head it straight at Alisson. The problem always with that approach to me in any sport, even if we go beyond Leeds, is if you set yourself up for that heavy, deep deep line, give the other team the ball. And admittedly, the way Liverpool have been playing, you could argue that we haven't exactly been on form. It, it, it could have worked. And for 40 minutes, it worked. The moment the goal went in, you looked in problems because that game plan wasn't going to carry on. And um, two two quick goals. I mean, I thought Mo's in particular was 
an outstanding finish, but probably poor goalkeeping. A little stat for you, Mo, with that goal became the highest scoring left-footed goals within the Premier League. 107 goals of his left foot, beating Robbie Fowler's 106. Um, and you just fell apart in the second half, didn't you? To be honest, heads went. I mean, I'm, I'm over the moon for Mo Salah. What a fantastic play. I'm really glad that he beat that stat. I'm also really glad that Diego Jota, who couldn't hit a fucking barn door for the last four years, or whatever ridiculous stat was, managed to score two past us. Two amazing goals as well. He'd been Garb hadn't scored for 31 games, approaching a year, just short of a year. Third one was the killer, because let's be fair, 2-0 looked problematic. Canate played, I thought, really well all game until he had that absolute clangor. Very, very cute finish from Sinistera. I thought that impressed with that, but it dinked it over. Allison is usually phenomenal one-on-ones, and he absolutely sat him on his arse and put it in the corner. And suddenly you're thinking, as a Liverpool fan, fucking hell, here we go. Back again. And then that goal from Jota to go take it 3-1, really sweet on the break. I mean, I thought Moe's fourth was probably the goal of the night. The, the passing through um, to get that. And I think by 4-1, the heads had gone a little bit, confidence down. And it was a it, it reminded me, to be honest with you, a little bit of the of the, the Man U match in that you can't say Liverpool were outstanding. Liverpool were pretty good. Leeds just lost their heads a bit like Man U did and just fell apart. And 6-1 was unjust. I, I, I felt a little bit sorry for you. Sorry, so sorry that I got into work early the next day, stuck Liverpool badges and 6-1 all over your computer, didn't I? So, uh, not that I rushed I was just going to say, you feel clearly that sorry for me that you sat there with a big fucking smile on your face as you're talking about it. I'm sure you felt absolutely gutted for me. Um, but it's funny you should mention Alisson, just because obviously you're saying he's quite good at um, shot-stopping. Melier's come into... Uh, quite a bit of criticism, and, and rightfully so, in my opinion, uh, this week. Um, in terms of the goalkeepers, so that the Premier League's uh, goalkeepers in terms of shot stopping this season, Alisson, as you would expect, is top in terms of goals prevented. So he's faced 127 shots. He's got an expected goals tally uh, conceded of 46, and he's uh, only conceded 34 goals. I think we've been saying all season that even when Liverpool haven't particularly performed well, he's consistently saved you probably quite a number of points and has, has probably pulled off. easily been our best player. And again, I know I go on about it. There's definite bias. There's no better goalie in the world for me than Alisson. He's absolute, his distribution of the ball, yes, he has a clanger in him. And once a season, maybe twice a season, he's going to drop a clanger where he tries to be a bit clever. But reactions, general saves, one-on-ones in particular, he's absolutely outstanding. Equally, just to flip that, I saw a stat for Melier, which I I give him some stick and I've given some clangers because he's had some bad games since we've been doing the podcast, but he's, he's conceded his last 10 shots on target, which is not a good sign. I think it were 11. He, I think it got to it, 11 and then he saved one from Jotter at the very end. But equally, I feel that that's harsh to blame purely that on Melier because I think that's systemic of the problems in front of him as well. So I don't think you can you can hold out that at Melier being the complete 
um sort of scapegoat of the of the victory if you like there um I think just two that... two things to pick up on that just because so one about Alison we'll start with the positive because obviously we'll try to be as positive as possible before I I'm myself. positive as fuck every time uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just texting Samaritans just while we're uh we're on this podcast <laughs> but um Alison being the best goalkeeper in the world the comparison usually would be to be, be between him and Edison correct roughly so a lot of people would, would say Edison couldn't disagree with that if I go down on this, uh, so this is the athletics uh, statistics, Edison, in terms of expected goals conceded to goals present, uh, prevented and in turn the goal prevented rate, Edison is actually number 19th in the league. So he has faced... Oh, so who's 20th? Melier. Uh Well, there's 22 in terms of the goalkeepers that have been played. Right. Uh, Melier is 21st. Um, who's, who, who's bottom then out of interest Bazunu for Southampton right okay um, he so just on Edison the first 69 shots uh, this season he has an expected goals conceded rate of 23 he's actually conceded 27 so it's not massively negative but it is still negative Melier in terms of that context 154 shots faced 48 expected goals conceded. He's conceded 59 goals, which puts him as um, goals prevented rate at 0.8. So he's actually conceded 10 more goals than isn't expected. That's shit. That is pretty shit. But who's who's the top three then? Fallison's number one. Who's, uh, uh, have a guess. See if you can uh, predict um, it. Weirdly, despite his clangers during the week, if I had to guess, I would have thought De Gea might be up there. De Gea is 16th. Really? Really um, low down. Yeah. So, uh, okay, I will, I'm going to say, I'll give you one more guess and then I'll put you out of your misery. Uh, one more guess, Ramsdale. Ramsdale is eighth. Okay. So, Go on, then. ironically, you mentioned Arsenal. Top two, um, Leno is second. He has faced 156 for Fulham. For Fulham. Uh, wow. He's faced 156 shots. And only conceded 38. Uh, so he's done quite well. Uh, expected goals conceded of 47. Kepper is third. So not as first as many yeah, shots he, as them two. But, um, and he's con- turned himself around a bit. Given he, Massively. He, for a season. He, 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 was, he was really good. Mendy came in. Mendy was good for a season on garbage. Kepper does seem to have pulled himself back a bit, to be fair. But um, I've been saying for a while, by, all bias aside... I, I don't remember a bet seeing in my lifetime a better goalkeeper than Alisson. He's the ideal sweeper-keeper. He's always out deep. He adds every, everything that you want from a keeper. He gives you, bar the occasional clangor where he gets a little bit too cocky. His distribution is, is pretty immaculate. His reactions, one-on-one, he's spectacular. He's a great penalty saver. Um Easily the best goalie in the world for me, and one of the huge reasons, one of the best signings Liverpool have made in the last ten years. Easily, he's definitely up there in terms of best goalkeepers, if not the best. And <laughs> it'd be an interesting question to ask people. I mean, people listening to this, you can always get in touch, obviously, on us as Twitter and as socials, and uh, disagree with us, as I'm sure the majority of people normally do. Uh, but it'd be interesting to see what the arguments against him being the best keeper in the world, because the majority of people these days. It would go on to like the last five years, wouldn't you? So you'd say Neuer's up there, 
but Neuer yeah. isn't anywhere near the level that he nah, used to be. not for the last five years. I, yeah, I, that's I what I mean. Like, for, before five years, Neuer was probably the uh, the the original genuine sweeper keeper in terms of what he provided, playing out deep, good possession, but he, he has fallen off a cliff. He's had a couple of bad of injuries, to be fair, which is, is definitely knocked him. The only other one for me that I think you could definitely argue is in there and get slept on because of the team he plays in is Donnarumma. I would just say Donnarumma, yeah. Uh, obviously very young. I think, he's, I think he's still only 23. It's insane. I mean, he was playing in goal for AC Milan at 16. So he he's the other very prime candidate. If you, if you gave me the top two, Alisson and Donnarumma would be the two for me. Who's the goalkeeper that we were discussing this week in terms of if Leeds sold Melier, uh, who had quite a good World Cup? Yeah. Still at Zagreb, which is a shock. I'd be really, really surprised if he stayed there in the summer. If somebody... um, The only other one you've got to say I would chuck in there, who again has slightly dropped off these last few seasons, but generally for the last five years, is Oblak of uh, Atletico. He's an outstanding keeper as well, but he's getting on a bit, but... I said to you, people were talking about Melier, you know, 50 million odd quid. Fucking sell that cunt in a, in, in a second. You could get Likovic for 25 mil. That is an upgrade every day of the week, mate. That, that, that to me would be a fantastic bit of business for Leeds. Out of curiosity, just because obviously we're an English podcast and we tend to talk about the English team a fair bit. Where would you put? Pope, Pickford and Ramsdale in terms of the arguments about top goalkeepers in the world? Nowhere near like top in the world. I mean, I personally, despite he's had a few clangers, the three of them, I rate Pope the highest. And I mean, again, he had the shocker against Liverpool. Ramsdale, I've never been a hundred. I, I think again, he's he, Ramsdale is a cane for me in that he's, above average at everything, but not outstanding at anything, if you know what I mean. His distribution's okay, shot saving's okay. I think he does a good job. He's young, he's got time to improve. I've never, ever been a Pickford fan, and I still don't understand personally how he's England's number one playing in a... You not think he performs for England? Uh, He he certainly performs better for England than he does for Everton, but he's not... The, the best keeper in England for me, I I, I say Pope, Pope for me is the best out of those three. I would personally say. Um, it's been a depressing week, as you could probably tell from my turn in terms of football. Um, who's going down, Ian? Give me a little bit of hope. Well, uh, as you know, um, long story. Well, I won't give the long story, but I've got a dripping tap at the moment. I was up at fucking five o'clock this morning. Probably my little slight bit of OCD kicked in. I couldn't fucking stop the dripping taps. I thought, do you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to get up. I'm going to do more prep than I normally do because you are usually the man to give you credit where credit's due that carries the podcast with your additional prep and statistics. So I thought, given you're probably going to fucking hate this podcast and don't want to do it, it's probably my turn to step up and and, and have a look. So I brought up the old... uh, Took me a bit of finding, I'll be honest with you, the old supercomputer that you refer to so regularly, uh, and I've got that in front of me. Um, at the the moment, in terms of Saints, are ninety one percent to go down. Don't I, I'd say that's a hundred. Don't personally see any way out for them. Got Arsenal tonight. Probably watch that. Seeing as after we've done the podcast, um, out of interest, might have is, a is that 
is that the case of I, I agree by the way I think they're all but down I think they're they're one of the teams that seem to be separating from even the other two in the bottom three at the moment they seem to be just drifting away is it a case of they lose tonight as silly as that sounds because it's not an easy game by any means they lose tonight they're done possibly I, I'm not sure you could you could conclusively say that but it's an, it's another nail in the coffin that's for sure they're away at the Etihad Arsenal have been a bit fragile recently again Etihad not, uh, it's called the, not, uh, not the Etihad what is it? the Emirates sorry um, that, that's so, my one little bit of smugness in this podcast I finally uh, got one well, up on well, you it, done, it makes well, me better well, now well, <laughs> made the whole week worth it for you hasn't it um but um, they 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 are really struggling, and they they need to avoid hiding. The irony is the way Arsenal have been playing, and, and the, at the moment, it actually wouldn't surprise me if they went there and got some kind of result and just completely fucked Arsenal over. But um, they they look down, so they're ninety one percent. You've got the supercomputer next has Forest um, with eighty one percent chance of going down. Everton a third with 58% going down and Leicester are fourth, 39% going down. Our boys Leeds, who again, I might not be a, a Leeds fan, but I live in Leeds, I have for a long time. I definitely don't want them to go down at 24%. What I did do is if we're going to go into a little bit more detail, because I feel you normally do, so I'm going to pick that slack up because you've wanted to hang yourself all week, is uh, Forest. Forest have a fucking nightmare running. So Forest, I'm, I'm, I've got their details up. They've got us tomorrow. Now, admittedly, again, on the back of a six-one at Anfield, we should absolutely do them over. They beat us in the res- in, in the reverse fixture. So again, the way Liverpool have been playing, it wouldn't surprise me. Forest's fixtures: Liverpool away to Brighton, away to Brentford, home to Southampton. So you'd give them a bit of a choke there. Away to Chelsea. Home to Arsenal, away to Palace. That's difficult. So that's you know, two, two, two possible winnable games there, which would be Palace on the last game of the season if Palace is safe and already on the beach, and home to Southampton. Bar that, they look in trouble. So Forest, and admittedly, that's the other reason you can be slightly smug in this bet uh, in the in this day. That would mean you get your bet that fucking forest finish uh below leads and you get your tenor from me brilliant can you imagine that I, we finish 18th and i'm like oh right can i have my tenor please while i'm yeah, celebrating yeah. relegation that'll be a brilliant day uh leads so i've got Le- leads leads fixtures for you so you got full away to fulham next match which you give us any chance for that because that's tomorrow isn't it? at 12 30 definitely I, because i think i saw fulham have lost the last five and Mitrovic is out. Mitrovic is the man that scores. I, I, I'll be honest with you. I think that's one of those games that Leeds have a far better chance than people have probably given them credit for there. Even a draw would be a good result away the way that they're playing. But Fulham have dropped off without Mitrovic. They're, they're struggling. Your next game, these are the big two. And this is where, for me personally, it, it completely changes things. Home to Leicester. Must win. Absolutely must win. The definition of a six-pointer and the way they're playing, you'd fancy yourself, you're then away to Bournemouth. You win those two games and you get a point against Fulham, seven points. I, I'll be honest, I think you're, that that would be enough. I, After that's, that, so that that's the, it's the question that I keep trying to tell myself that there's an answer to, and it's a, a simple answer for Leeds to get to that point. 
what's that golden number going to be? Because we're on 29 points at this moment in time. 35 usually keeps you up. Are we saying that if Leeds get two more wins, they're safe? Well, if we let's, let's, let, let's look at the best case scenario out of them three before we go into the other. That's seven points. If you're on 29, that's 36. I think you're safe. I, I genuinely think those three games would keep you up. It's a weird one, oh. isn't it? Because you, you look at Palace and Palace, I mean, they made a mockery of my prediction a few weeks back. But I said that I thought Palace were in trouble because of the slide that they're on. They obviously then sacked Vieira and Hodgson has kept them up. They're and did entire... you one, did they? Yeah, well, let's let's move on swiftly. Um, but in that sort of time period, they've won three games, I think it is, on the bounce. They've gone from looking like they were one of the favourites to potentially going down to now safe. No one is, is even slightly talking about them staying up. So that's how easy it is. And like you say, let's say, let me just knock on this piece of wood in front of me. Let's say Leeds go and win and get a miracle result against Fulham, or as some Leeds fans are perceiving, including myself, a miracle result against Fulham tomorrow, we then win as next two games. You would be saying nine points, so 38 points, you've got to be safe. So it's, it's literally as simple as that. But it's... I gen- genuinely say you're miles safe. I mean, the problem you got after that, you're away to City, kind of a gimme. And sit again, let's be honest, City, catch them on an off day. You never know, but that's looking a lot less likely this season. You then go um, home to Newcastle, who have picked up. And again, you'd think to yourself, is a tough game. The other one that probably is the one that you need, if you're going to look at a game that would would ultimately then make the difference to save you, away to West Ham. West Ham went through last night, so you could argue they've got their mind on Europe and maybe maybe thinking there. They might well be safe themselves by that point. Again, on 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 the beach, that's a that's a winnable game for Leeds. And you finish the season at home to Spurs. Spurs are always Spursy. Spurs, depending how it works out, may need that a win there to you know clinch Europe. So that could be a problem, and and certainly not an easy game. But it's those next three for me. You get seven points out of them three. I think you're safe. They get no points. You think we're down. If Fulham, I think you could take it out. If you don't beat Leicester and Bournemouth, I'd really fear for you, yeah. Yeah, I don't disagree. It's one of those things. I, I wouldn't be back in Leeds to beat anyone uh, at the moment. And that's a very pessimistic view. And as I always tend to take, and it, it literally only takes one good result and one good performance to turn it all on its head. But the lack of confidence in that team is horrendous at the moment. But the way we've said, I mean, you've got Verba to come back which makes a huge difference. We've said about how pessimistic you are, considering you are a pretty optimistic chap in the rest of life, apart from football. Apart from this uh, week. Uh, uh, yeah. you, you, you've, got a, you've definitely got a chance and you might get away with it based on the other teams being worse. So I've got Le- Leicester here. So Leicester's next results. Leicester are home to Wolves. So, it, that, you know, Wolves have suddenly improved a little bit and... Again, if Leicester were looking at a China, they've got to stay up. That's a winnable game for them. They've then obviously got away to you. So that's a big one. Leicester-Everton, which is an absolutely massive game. You've then got Leicester away to Fulham. Uh, away uh, Home to Liverpool. Away to Newcastle. Finishing the season home to West Ham. So they, they do have some games in there that you could see them getting some points 
which could rival the number of points we're talking about with Leeds. So that that that's a bit of a worry for me. For, for Leeds is would be Leicester's running. Um, Everton are the ones that I would say are looking in, in in the real shit. So Everton's next game away to Palace. We just talked about Palace and the bounce they've had. They're then home to Newcastle. They then got Leicester. So that's a winnable game potentially. Uh, uh, you know, again, massive six pointer. Away to Brighton. Probably can't see him getting any points there. Uh, home to City, who are going to be looking at trying to close the league in by that point. That's problematic. They've then got that. This is where the problem comes. Away to Wolves. So again, Wolves, if they're safe and on the beach, that could be a problem. Finish the season home to Bournemouth. But oh. they could already be down by the point because of those other games. So again, how it goes, depending on the other team's results that we talked about, those last two could be slightly irrelevant for them. But Leeds have got the best running out of them three, if you ask me. Give me your prediction then. So Southampton, we both agree. Probably Forest. Who's the third? Everton. Ooh. I think Leeds out. Everton too big to go down? No, I'd love it. Obviously, as a Liverpool fan, um, Frank, Fat Frank, doing an outstanding job as we expected at Chelsea, uh, as he did at Everton. Um, but um, no, I don't think they are too big. I think I think that the the the, the, de- the dice bounce that they got and that initial seems to have dropped off uh, as well. Uh, you you get that. I mean, even even with again to get harping back to to Palace, they've had a bounce. Uh, from Hodgson, he's got some results on the set. Wouldn't surprise me again if they suddenly drop off and slide off a bit. But it is such a tight league, and if you think about it, we are on. I think we are on. What's this? Episode thirty-six. I'm sure if we only went back to episode thirty-four, if not thirty-three, Leeds had won and we're in twelfth. You were fucking happy as Larry. Thought you were you were safe. Don't remember. This is the tightest league that I remember for relegation and it's that as you say I, personally I agree with the supercomputer I would say I think that they're the three Saints ever uh, Saints Leicester Everton it's close Sorry, actually yeah I mean it, it's close all round in terms of this season it's probably the closest Premier League season that we've seen in a long time not just for relegation obviously your title battle is going to go to the wire by the looks of it even Europe Europe seems to be um, quite close I, I think I'll be honest, even if you do turn your form up, uh, form up now and a 6-1 thrashing of any team should do that for you, it will be very much like Liverpool to lose their next game um, and oh, obviously mess it up for Leeds. Yeah. And I, I, I think Champions League, being perfectly honest, as much as I'm trying to be, I, I'm not an optimist like you, I'm a pessimist. I think we've got a hope for, for just for Europe and I can't. I can't face back in fucking Europa League and those Thursday fucking Sunday matches. That fucking kills me. The thought of that is is horrendous. But you live in hope. You've got a cat. You know, maybe we've got Diaz to come back. He's now training again, and I think will make a difference. Gakpo, uh, Salah suddenly back in form, and Salah's one of those players that can be out of form. Has a good game like he did against Leeds, and suddenly back on back on it. So you've got a hope. I mean, I, I think Liverpool need to do a you know, basically win the best part of, you know, of our eight games left, we probably need six, seven wins in order to even have a chance. Um, Out of curiosity, why why are you so against Europe? I know we've spoken about this before in terms of not Champions League, um, just Europe in general and the Europa League and 
um, what is it, the Conference League now. I, surely that's something that if you did get into Euro, uh, the Europa League and you didn't quite make it into the Champions League, which I'll be honest, is still an ask at the moment with how the, the league is and with certain teams performing. Would you not be looking at that and thinking, that's what I'm going to dedicate our season to doing? And it should be an easy competition for you to win with the level of players that you've got. I mean, it is, but I, I think some of it, I, I'm, I'm skewed by my age, if I'm honest here. This is one where I remember before the stupid fucking Europa League, it was the UEFA Cup. Uh, it was on a Thursday. You got the shittest fucking, it was on Channel 5. The amount of nights I remember being 15, 16 and going around at my mate's house, Garner, sitting in his lounge, having a couple of beers his, his old man would give us and watching games on a Thursday it fu- I fucking hate playing every Sunday. I much prefer a game on a Saturday. Do they still? Yeah. Oh, yeah, because I suppose you, your Sundays will be your Premier League so games. you get mean. far more game yeah. Premier League games on a Sunday. I just find it just it doesn't hold any real attraction for me. But Europe's Europe, and, and you're right. The, the only thing I would say about when you could say, oh, it's an easy to get into, let's say, the, the, the Europa League is an easy one to win and a chance to get into the Champions League. I think we'll be a lot better next year because we'll spend some money. But two, what people always forget is the Europa League gets a lot harder when you get to the knockout stages because all of the teams from third in the Champions League get knocked down into it. And Barca this year, you know, teams like that. So it's not by any stretch a breeze all the way through. So... Um, just finish just, his conference league then. Win conference league. Be right, laugh. I, I tell you what, I mean, that would be that. We, I might hang myself if we have to get into the, conference, <laughs> the fucking Europa Conference League. That, I mean, it's got at least got to be the UEFA League. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I think we've, we've probably talked enough about it. I felt a bit smug enough. Um, other major topic I've got for you on, on football would be, which was. Um, surprising to say the least was Juventus so obviously they'd had a 15 point deduction from financial irregularities this was reversed yesterday Uh, it bounced them up from seventh in the league to third knocked AC Milan who must be gutted out of the Champions League places um, down down to fifth the thing to note I would say about this is it's not over and done this is a, 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 a temporary thing, reprieve, if you like, the way that they've done it. And it's been made clear it's still being investigated and they could still face sanctions at a later date. Now, you could argue that's bullshit because they could get into the Champions League this season and then face a, a negative point deduction next season when, you know, it doesn't affect them so much. They've got the money of the Champions League. But the thing to note about that, it's not done and dusted and just over. There could still be sanctions at a later date. The thing that I was surprised about, some of the directors that were in trouble, Pavel Nedved being one of them, were actually cleared and on appeal. So they are allowed to continue. Spurs' guy, Patricio, um, his uh, ban was upheld. So he is, ultimately, I don't know if you saw that, I think that was today, has resigned from his role at Spurs. Do we know why that is? I'll be honest, I haven't had a look into it. I've been avoiding football news, as you would expect. But do we no, know why? if I'm totally honest with you, I didn't look deep enough, even though I was up at five o'clock this morning, into the difference between... There was there was three directors, I know that, Pavel Nedved and two others, on appeal, got their bans overturned, so can continue in their roles. 
Patricio and I think four other directors lost their appeals. So had yeah. them uh, upheld. Be honest, don't know the detail of uh, of, that, uh, of why I didn't look into that. But um, I mean, for Spurs, Spurs being Spursy anyway, but losing the manager and then losing their sporting director as well is far from ideal at such a critical stage in the uh, season, you would say. The Daryl prediction train runs through the station once again. It's keeping going. I got my Arnold Allen prediction spot on. Um, I'll I, I just be honest. I think I'll never get anything right ever again, sporting-wise. Not being horrible, but does anyone on this podcast listen to you? Literally, like, do they, do they, do they, surely they must know by now. Listen to Ian. Ian's the considerably more knowledgeable one and must be on a ridiculous streak, probably even better than the streak I'm beating you at Paul at the moment of predictions of getting it right. But, Can I just point out, I, I'm not being horrible or out, but no one listens to you. Oh, all right. Yeah. Cheers, mate. That's, that's lovely of you. Um, no, no, but let's, let's be fair. Your, your, your prediction wise, uh, you 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 you're not on a great run of form. I think it would be fair to say. When have I ever been on any run of form with these predictions? I mean, again, have have I got talking, one right? No, I was about to say <laughs> boxing or MMA. I'm not even sure over 36 episodes if you've ever got one right. But uh, I said Holloway's Holloway's no joke. He's been in some wars. He's like 12 non-title fight wins in a row, which shows you. Obviously, Volk has, has bested him a couple of times and, and, and done so. Question that I would have: Do you is is it what's next? The trilogy. Obviously, um, Volkanovski's got Rodriguez, which I would personally see him running through pretty quickly. On the back of this, does Holloway deserve a third crack? Is it a third? I thought it were a fourth. I'd have to either Google quickly while we're doing it, but he's definitely lost two. Um, I'm not so, so sure if it would be um, three, but have you may. Um, either way, I, it's a weird division because Holloway is far and above, clearly, the rest of the division, not including Volk, but he's not good enough to beat Volkanovski for me. So... I, you could give him that title fight, but it's going to go exactly as you'd expect. Uh, I wouldn't disagree with you. I think the result would probably be the same. I just think he's he again his his um, effort of work and it, 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 the people he's beaten to get to that stage. It would be hard to argue necessarily that he didn't deserve at least another crack. Um, I'm just trying to do a bit of Googling now, so bear with me um, in terms of the, what, whether or not it is uh, three or four. But, it's just, uh, it's it, a weird one, isn't it? Because, like I say, that division is so... It, it's just a strange division because you, you've got someone who is so far and above everyone else and then the rest of the division. So it's you could give anyone to Volk, and I, I think Volk runs through them. Well, well, as I say, I think if nothing else, given how shit your week's been, you can be smug again. You're correct. Three, three nil to Volkanovski, not two nil. So, oh, it's made me weak, mate. I'm so happy now. <laughs> but um, it, it's hard. It's, it's hard to sell a quadrilogy when you're three nil down. 
Yeah, but, that's what I mean. But but they have again. If we, that three nil could be won in a similar way than when we talked about Pereira and um, Adesanya, they weren't runaway victories. You know, there were they they were pretty close. One of them I remember in particular. I actually think I remember thinking uh, Holloway had won on decision. So it's close. It's sellable. And again, back to the point that we say that because of how good Volkanovski is, after he beats Rodriguez, which I'm sure he would, who else is who else is even remotely close in that division to giving him a, a challenge? So it wouldn't surprise me if they if if they gave him a fourth shot. The positive, I suppose, that you've got is. Uh... Could you name anyone who dislikes Max Holloway? He seems to be a very likable character. People watch his fights because they're, they're normally quite enjoyable fights. Um, I think he was one of the first UFC matches that I uh, actually enjoyed. I can't remember who it was that he fought, but very specifically, I remember the um, speaking to the commentary team midway through the fight and giving it big and, and talking about how good of a boxer he is while the other guy is swinging at him. He's dodging the other guy's punches and then returning the punches without even looking at him because he's too busy speaking to commentary. Well, not only that, there's the, I mean, you've got to love the guy. In the, He'll go to war and sadly, he'll end up with fucking CTE for sure because of the wars that he's been in in terms of brain damage. But there's also that famous fight, I forget who it was against, where he's basically starts showing him mid-fight how to fight. He's almost giving him an almost like a a minute instructional of you should be doing this and that. I mean, he's, he's incredible. Uh, and as you say, I, I think he would be easily the greatest featherweight of all time. If it wasn't for Volkanovski coming there, he, he would have dominated. He did dominate for a long period of time. And it, Volkanovski is just one of those people in that we've said with other times and other fighters, he's got his number. He's, he, he's I don't see him. If there was a fourth match, I don't see him beating him. Holloway, Hall of Famer? Future. Sure. No yeah. doubt. No doubt. Um, UFC 288. We've got uh, a co-main of uh, Bilal. And I'll be honest, I, I really like Bilal. And I'll be interested to see how this goes. And Burns. Um, who are you backing? Quick, quick turnaround on that one. Because obviously Gilbert's only just beat, uh, well, retired Masvidal. So um, Burns... Burns gets anyone on the floor, he's going to submit him. He, he, he has unreal jiu-jitsu. Bilal is a predominant wrestler, again, in that, that kind of, we've talked about other people who reminds me of perhaps uh, an Usman who has started as a wrestler, was a bit of a grinder, and has started to find his striking ability and in, in, in his, his chances on the feet. It's a really tough one, that, but I'll be honest, I would possibly give it to Bilal. If I if I was really pressed, but that's a, that's a fifty fifty fight for me. I really like Bilal. I, I think he is um, he's one of these who gets slept on a little bit because he isn't uh, a main name. I think a lot he's gathering a bit of he's a following. Yeah, he, absolutely. Usman esque yeah. before it goes to decision a lot. He's he's not fan friendly as they would often term it. That he's he's coming in and he's doing spinning wheel kicks and laying people out, but. His body of work and his ability considerably are above what people give him credit for. Yeah, and uh, that's not too far away, is it? Um, 288, is it the summit of May? 6th of May. 
6th of May, so that is also the fight which I am intrigued to see, which is headlined, that's the co-main event, headlined by Aljamain Sterling versus the return of the King of Cringe, Henry Cejudo, <laughs> who, um, again, Cejudo is one of those people, probably will be a Hall of Famer, given that, you know, he won the title at two weights, gold medal at the Olympics at wrestling, for people that didn't know that. Just, I can't, he's no John Jones. He's been out of the game for three years. I can't personally see how that ring rust doesn't affect him and he immediately comes back. He is pretty active on social media. He still trains and he, he trains other fighters. So he's still in the game. So you'd think that he's rem he, he's kept a level of skill up there. But Sterling is incredibly athletic has very good defensive wrestling and and Sahujo's major skill is his wrestling. So intriguing matchup. I think it's a bit of a piss take that Sahujo gets to jump the queue. We've talked about that before. Coming back after three years and bang into a title shot. I just hope to God he don't win. But my money would be on Sterling on that one. Well the the fight that um Bilal Mohammed and uh, Burns replaced has been rearranged. Uh, so is it 289 that Oliveira and Darius is at? Correct. And I mean, that's a quick turnaround, which tells me that Oliveira was, it can't be a, a particularly serious injury. So that's for the 10th of June. So it's only, a, a, you know, sort of five, six weeks later. Is it Canada? Another, sorry? Is it in Canada? Can, uh, Vancouver. So yeah. uh, Vancouver, that is another very good match. And Darius is very much the... Balau of the lightweight division in terms of people sleeping on sleeping on him, not a particularly fan friendly fighter, good body of work, but hasn't beaten a lot of top top guys. So Oliveira, obviously coming off um, you know a loss of the title, very very good, and as I say, a fan, fan, personally I think he has the best applicable jujitsu in the whole of MMA in terms of how he uses it. He, he may not be the best straight jiu-jitsu guy, but how he applies jiu-jitsu to an MMA arena is absolutely fantastic. Very good on his feet, become a good kickboxer and puncher, but you go to the floor of him, you're in trouble. Dariush is a wrestler, so you'd think that, that there's that kind of stifling, nullifying effect of a wrestler can nullify someone who's very good, but... Oliveira might be the most dangerous fighter in the whole of the UFC off his back. Incredible jiu-jitsu off his back. It's quite a pivotal matchup that as well, isn't it? In terms of Oliveira is obviously um, coming off the, the back of the, the recent uh, fight they had. Um me who he lost against. Uh, Islam. Islam, of course. Um, Dariush is on a eight-win streak, I think it is, at the moment in time. I mean, if you had to, again, look at MMA maths and forward head, Darius has probably got a better chance against Islam if you were to play it like that. If Oliveira wins, I don't see him going, beating Islam. I would see that fight going a pretty similar way. Darius has the wrestling ability to probably be in that grappling matchup with, 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 with Islam. So if you were looking for a, a, a different and a stronger challenge for Islam, and how good he is at the moment. Dariush would probably be that one. Very, very difficult fight to call again. Definitely not one that I would be saying there's a very clear and obvious 
uh, winner. That's the co-main event for 289. Um, the main event is the trilogy of Amanda Nunes, Juliana Penna at for the uh, women's uh, 145 title. Um, do you want to call that or is it too early to start talking about 289? bit early, but I'm going to go Nunes. I think, um, you know, again, probably the best pound for pound woman fighter in the world. Did suffer uh, a loss. It was a bit of a shock, but she is heavy handed, jiu-jitsu black belt. Uh, I think she will have made the necessary improvements. It's been a while since she fought, so she's taken some time off. I think, to, to recover from the knockout as well as improve her skills. Um, I'm a hu- huge, huge Amanda Nunes fan. I think she's by far and away, bar Chris Cyborg at her best, those two are the two the two, the two goats of women's MMA for me. I mean, like, when people try and talk about someone like Ronda Rousey, she was a one-trick pony with her armbar. Amanda Nunes would have beat the living fuck out of Rousey, even at her peak. So Nunes is... Very, very good. Did you see that uh, Pena has broken her back? Uh, so the fight's off? Is that no, what you're me? no, she um, did an interview with MMA Fighting and she said, uh, I'm a star. You realise how bad my back hurts, right? My back is broken from carrying this fight. Right, I was just going to say... <laughs> Most how, embarrassing thing I've ever heard. Please tell me how a doctor is going to clear someone with a broken back. But uh, <laughs> didn't know if you were going to drop something on me like I know you like to do that I'm not aware of. But um, uh, I, I, I'd go Nunes. Tough, but Juliana Penezier is definitely no no mug and shouldn't be slept on. Very, very well-rounded again in terms of all of her skills. But um, as I say, I'm a huge uh, Nunes fan. One of the biggest shocks, I think... Um probably in USC history, obviously there's been quite a few, but one of the biggest shocks in UFC history when she won that first fight, um, obviously failed to retain a title the, the second time. But having read that, I'll be honest, I don't want Pena anywhere near uh, title and again. Uh, I think that's it's one of the cringiest things. So who's your, I'd be proud of saying something like that. It's just dick, I mean, c- carrying this fight, what, when you're not even the champ? Fuck off. <laughs> you know, yeah, I totally agree with you. It's just, it's just a twatish thing to say. You can't say, to be fair, remembering that fight, she got lucky. She definitely beat Amanda Nunes and beat her very well. But um, I don't, as you say, Nunes beat her in the rematch. And if I had to be a betting man, I would definitely be betting on Nunes to clinch the trilogy uh, myself. I think Nunes will ultimately go down as the GOAT. Best, best women's fighter ever. Uh, the UFC is returning to London, however, not in the way that we had hoped. So it doesn't appear that it's going to be Edwards again with the title. It appears that this is going to be another fight night, as uh, announced by uh, Dana White. So it is uh, scheduled for, I'm trying to think, is it the 22nd of July? Well, this broke today while we were at work, wasn't it? We were talking about it, it broke today, and it was pretty disappointing, it, uh, that news. I mean, we knew already that um, Edwards had said that he probably wasn't going to fight for the title there. He's waiting for September, I think, in Abu Dhabi. Fight night, I mean, this is going to be some bullshit. If I had to guess and put my, my balls on the line here, I could see Tom Aspinall headlining it. 
again because he hasn't fought for a while if he's fit which i'd be up for seeing i'm not going to lie um depending on makalev's knee i don't know if that'll be better, better well enough but he will may well be on the card uh it will be considerably cheaper than the tickets we paid for last time but i'll be honest i'll still be interested in going depending on that lineup yeah i mean the, the big thing for me would be the ticket prices if it's a fight night, so there's no way you can sell it for the same prices that we paid outlandishly for the, the previous event. Um, I think the last fight night in London, I think you're looking at ticket prices about 88 quid, which isn't necessarily the end of the world, obviously, depending on who it is that's fighting. You're not going to have uh, Paddy the Baddy. He is currently injured. Obviously, you don't have Arnold Allen. He's just fought. Might have uh, Meatball Molly. He might, or she might be on it. Um, trying to think if there's anyone else. That oh, well, Till Till got cut, so there's gonna be no Till. Yeah, that's why I'm saying I can't see anyone. Paul really Craig, <laughs> probably on it, but again, not a real big draw, which is why it makes me, leads me to think that the only person that could probably headline that card that people would want to see would be Aspinall if he's fit enough. Um, really, I, I don't really see. I mean, Arnold Allen. Potentially, if he a quick turnaround. Um, no, I think he'd sustained quite a bit of damage in that Holloway fight. I can't see him getting on agreed, that. Agreed, but he, again, and I'm just thinking of British fighters allowed other than Aspinall that could, uh, you know, again, fight nights, as, as we've discussed many times before, tend to be one or two, you know, the main and the co-main. The rest are pretty garbage. Um, so you would expect that to be a lot cheaper. That That's a hundred quid a ticket or something. I'm in. Yeah, if it if it's around that, it definitely will do. And I'll drive down this time because uh, I felt bad for you having to drive and nearly piss your pants on the way down last time. It says the big rumour would be Tom Aspinall and you're going to have to correct me here because I always butcher this pronunciation, uh, Marcin Tibura. Uh, easy, I'd say it's a pretty easy fight for uh, Aspinall. They're lining him up there. Tibura, Tibura is, I think he's Russian. Correct me if I'm Polish. wrong. Polish. Polish, right, but um, oh, again, I would. Uh, he's probably in the top 15, but not very up, probably between 10 and 15 ranked. I would have thought 12, 13, something like that. Pretty, he likes to stand and bang, but Aspinall would put him away pretty easily, I would say. But um, yeah, didn't realise that was the rumour, but that that's the re- only obvious person for me that they could put if they're going back to England to put on that card, I would say. Yeah. As, as your headliner. Um, where's his bonus segment, Ian? Don't go quiet. I, don't go quiet on me. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> I, um, I, I, not that I'm um, Googling it uh, as we speak, but yeah, we, we did fuck up uh, last week by not giving uh, a Bonner uh, title fight or uh, one to watch. Um, so I'm going to say uh, this this uh, week we are going to go for Justin Gagey versus uh, Dustin Poirier, UFC on Fox 29, 2018. Are you going to actually post it on a socials this time? Because uh, there's been a severe lack of these fights being posted on Twitter. Uh, I will do. I will make sure that I do that, um, and I make a note of it now. Not that I've, uh, I've, you know, dropped the ball here in the slightest, but um, that was a good scrap. Um, 
we will put that up and we will break that one down um, for you next week. But that would be the next bonus segment. Uh, George Joyce got big bang zanged. But quite enjoyable to watch, I'll be honest. I mean, we, we, I've said for a while, I mean, I know some people disagree. I've I, I not rated Joyce at all. I think he just, he walks forward. He, he, he took that view of, I can take a punch to give a punch, but I don't think he's anywhere near as heavy-handed as he as he perhaps thinks he is, and that he could, you know, spark someone out with one punch while he's taking one. Um, and I thought he got schooled, if I'm honest, and I think that pretty much wrecks his chances and opportunities of being classed as a as a top five, top serious contender at heavyweight. I, I don't really see where he goes from here. Um, and I'm not that disappointed because I've never been his biggest fan. I think he's pretty shit. No, um, I, I think he obviously got a lot of praise from beating Dubois, who was sort of hyped up at that point in time. Um, Dubois pretty much quit that fight a few years back uh, with the, the eye injury and, and was taking a knee. And it was quite clear that rather than Joyce winning that fight, it was lost by Dubois. Now, both of those fighters are nowhere near uh, the the rest of the top four that we were talking about in terms of the heavyweight division. Completely agree. I think Joe Joyce has absolutely no chance of picking up any titles until the others retire. Not forgetting the fact that Joe Joyce himself is 37 years of age. So his career is almost coming to a conclusion. Um, obviously being beaten by a 39-year-old bloke who's, I think he's 40 now, actually. Um, Zhang, you would have had a, a very happy birthday. Um, it, coming out before the fight saying, I think I'm definitely a top five heavyweight and I would argue that I'm top three. I'd beat AJ. All that, you, you can't do all that sort of hyping yourself up until you're taking out the bigger men. And he's not fought anyone other than Parker. And the Parker knockout was semi-impressive, and I'll give him that. But as soon as he's come up against someone with some power, he's just had his head jabbed off all night. It was just a straight left. and he, I think, yeah, I don't think it's announced what it is, but I'm certain he's fractured his eye socket. It was just an, an absolute schooling. Um, I think it sets up a fight against Dillian White in the summer. I don't think he'll have a rematch against Jang because I think the outcome would be very, very similar. Um, the rematch against, oh, sorry, the, the fight against White in the summer would be quite interesting just to see because that's those type of fighters, isn't it? Neither of them are going to be near the, the titles any again, uh, any, oh, any time in the future anyway. Um, so it'd be nice to see that as a scrap, but I agree. Uh, he's nowhere near a top everywhere and he will not be getting a title in his career, in my opinion. Totally agree. I think, as you say, I think that's that's been the downer for him now. I think that's kind of one of those career-crushing losses, to be honest with you. Whether he took it a little bit lightly, whether he thought he was just going to roll him over, whether he underestimated him, there's a lot of factors there. But, I mean, his face was banged up by the M1. I mean, he'd, he'd take some punishment. But, um, yeah, I, I certainly wasn't impressed. And... Um, I, I, I think his career as a inverted commas top top class heavyweight is done. Yeah, I, it, there's nowhere for him to go. It'll be one of these, a little bit like being a bit disrespectful here, I suppose, but a little bit like a Chisora who is around for the payday, around for the bigger fights, but will never realistically get 
any chance of, of winning the title and unless Fury decides to hand out because obviously they're on the same promotion out there. Um, but Fury is too busy by the sounds of it and the, the heavy rumours fighting Andy Ruiz. I mean, again, what the fuck? Who want, who 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 wants to see that? Um Well, he got a lot of criticism, did um AJ for fighting Ruiz in the first place. Obviously he lost that fight, then goes back, rematches him and, and wins quite comfortably in terms of the boxing and put on a little bit of a clinic. Why is it that people would expect that Fury isn't going to get any criticism for the same? Fury came out and, and said that uh, AJ fighting him was, I can't remember the exact quote. He basically talked it down, said it's a, a nothing fight. Him fighting Ruiz shows the level that he's at. So why is he now taking this fight instead of fighting Usyk, which everyone wants to see? And it, it just, this recurring factor with the heavyweight division that we've got, it's just annoying me every single time. Um, the only thing that could make it a little bit more entertaining is if we get a fight from AJ. And I know you said that you wanted to see him fight Wilder. I don't think that'll happen, but it would be nice to see that in the summer because that's a fight that would entertain people and would get people back watching these sorts of fights. But Ruiz Fury, not for me. No, uh Again, not interested in it. We, 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 we've talked about it. Unless it's Fury Usyk, I'm, I'm, I'm really not interested. Couldn't be less interested in that. Um, feels like another easy payday for, for Fury. He's going to beat up a fat Mexican. Uh, I mean, it, it, it might be the two shittest bodies on two heavyweight boxers ever as a contest, if, you, if that was how you were going to bill it as a promotion. But um, yeah. Have you seen Ruiz now? Seen Ruiz Juniors now because he's he's properly slimmed down. To be fair, are you telling me he's not a fat cunt? He's no longer that fat, but he he isn't like a an AJ bodybuilder type um, shape. But he's, he's certainly slimmed down. Um, before we come on to the main fight of the weekend and the one that I'm looking forward to, he says knowing full well that he will not be awake for it and will probably watch the fight the following day. Um, we've got a world title fight this this uh, Saturday. Um, it's the division that I always tend to criticise because I just don't like it. I think it's essentially another made-up title and it's the WBC at their most perfect tricks that they tend to do. Um, Bridgeweight. Bridgeweight, heavyweight. Oh, sorry. The Bridgeweight title of the world. You seen this? No. So Bridgeweight. Uh, we've discussed it once before, is the division between cruiser and heavyweight. Uh, It's only in the WBC. So it was established in, I think it was July 2020 or something around around that. And it's essentially named after a six-year-old American, uh, Bridger Walker, who saved his four-year-old sister from a stray dog in, in July 2020. I think they give him like a an honorary belt and, and things like that. Um, the title fight is this one that I've spoke to you about. It's Babich and Rosansky. And it, it's for this WBC Bridgeweight title. No other uh, boxing body has a Bridgeweight title. It's just the WBC. So it seems to be another one of these where they've just essentially made it up a little bit like they do with these, you know, the union belt um, for 
Tyson Fury versus, um, was it Dillian White? And then you've got the ones that they made between Canelo and GGG and all this sort of stuff. It's just a weird one. I'll probably watch it because I love watching me be boxing on a Saturday night with Canna Pringles and Brewdog, et cetera, et cetera. But it's just a weird division and it just seems to be another excuse to get people to have a belt around them. I mean, it, what's weird about that one for me really is there's not a massive difference, if you're calling it bridge weight, between, what do you say, well, sorry, light heavyweight and cruiserweight? So it's established for boxers weighing between £200 and 224 pounds. So it sits just between the cruiser and heavyweight divisions. So, I mean, that's a tiny weight amount for that level like what that seems really pointless to me being one one division or the other no no one aspires to be the bridge weight champion of the world do they fucking put on some bulk hit the gym get fucking massive like me and go up to heavyweight if you're going to be fucking doing that like it just it 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 feels bullshit to me that one i've got to be honest that i i i'm not that interested in that one um i mean the the big fight obviously this this weekend got to talk about is uh tank versus garcia yeah um i mean how do you want to analyze do you want to give an immediate prediction do you want to get into the detail of it or because so, we're, I mean, we're going to disagree on this as we always do so, tank is both undefeated 28 wins 26 ko's uh, clearly a padded record as we've talked about with these fighters before but it has beaten leo santa cruz gambia and hector garcia uh, weirdly on this one, which when I was looking into the detail, he's ranked number two in the world at uh, lightweight, which is uh, after Shaka Stevenson, who holds no titles. And Devane Haney is actually ranked fourth in the world, who is the undisputed champion and has all belts. So if someone could explain me the logic of that, I'm all ears because it makes no fucking sense to me whatsoever. Um, Garcia is 23-0 with 19 KOs and ranked number six in the world. So it's a big match. It's definitely got title implications and I'm sure the the winner would be trying to hanker for Haney next in order to go for those undisputed titles. But it just... Expl- give, maybe explain those rankings to me. How the fuck does that work? <laughs> I mean... You're not going to get an explanation out of me that's going to make any sense. I think one of the things that I do quite like um, about Garcia, and again, we'll, we'll leave the prediction to the end, but Garcia actually came out when he... There were a question that was posed to him, I think it was last year, about rankings and about title belts, etc. He basically came out and said, yeah, title belts don't mean shit these days, and criticised the fact that um, due to the fact that there's now four sanctioning bodies and that it's all watered down every weight class is polluted with multiple title belts and therefore they're essentially worthless. It's all about putting on a show. It's all about earning your money. It's all about being the best and being a champion. It isn't necessarily meaning that you're the best anymore. And I feel like that's quite a refreshing take. It sounds silly because you go into any sport wanting to be the champion, don't you? You want to win titles. You want to win trophies, et cetera, et cetera. And, usually the way to promote who is the best is the person who holds the championship or the title, et cetera, et cetera. But boxing has changed so significantly that it it doesn't really work like that these days, does it? Because 
if you've I got multiple titles with... as the champions, then how can you be better than the other? I agree with you to a degree, and that's the problem of having four sanctioning bodies. But I don't think you can make that point when you're the undisputed with all four belts, personally. That Agreed. Per- I, I agree with that. That, that. that would be the, the one for me. When you've got, which happens in many other divisions, someone who's got one belt each, so you've got four different world champions at the same weight, that's nonsense. But for me to have an undisputed champion with all four that matters, that means something. And that being a world champion, again, let's, let's not underplay what that is and the effort that goes into fighters to do that. But there is something very, very special about being to, being able to say you are the undisputed champion of your weight. So, Would the solution uh, to that not be have one title belt? Because I, I don't disagree. I think if you're undisputed, you hold all the titles. No one else is a champion in division. But... A perfect example, we've just been obviously talking about heavyweight division. Usyk, Fury, both undefeated, both world champions, both of the same division. Yes, one holds more titles than the other, but how do you weigh which championship means more unless they fight? And if they don't fight, and it looks like they're not going to fight anytime soon, how do you say which one's better? I don't disagree with you, but the problem on this, this goes back to like the 60s. So I, yeah. I, I like my, my, my boxing knowledge. I believe I might be wrong here and I'm sure someone will correct me, but it was either the WBA or the WBC was the original sanctioning body and there was one. And you, you were then the world champion. You had that one belt. And ultimately, as, is the, as the way of the world is, money got in the way. They then brought in two sanctioning bodies so you had the WBC and the WBA which I'm pretty sure were the next two and before you know it you got four and and, and all the nonsense that's then followed and, and, and causes that problem so I, I absolutely agree with you I think it's a too idealistic opinion that we could ever go back from having four sanctioning bodies and the money that they make and the way it works to just going back to one and having that you're, you've got the one belt. You're the one champ. I, 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 the principle I completely agree with, and I would be if there was a way we could achieve that, I would be a hundred percent on board. But I could never see it happening. No, and it's the same way that we obviously moan about. Well, you tend to moan about, and I wind you up about sort of social media boxing and influencer boxing and stuff like that. It's not necessarily good for the sport, but it also is good for the sport because it generates the money, it generates the publicity. And if you've got four different chances of a world title fight per year that involves different boxers, you've obviously got that prestige all the way through the year. But even now, you look at the way that some boxers conduct themselves. Josh Warrington, a few years back, and he ended up probably derailing his own career, um, gave up a title belt, gave up the IBF title belt to go after the ring title belt because he saw the, the ring title as the far more prestigious belt itself. Is IBF's the worst of all of them, let's be fair, out of the big four. IBF's the worst. The ring is probably what I would call the purist's uh, title. That's that's what most... Bo- the, the, the real boxing fans and the people that know what they're talking about, being the ring champion is probably as close as being the best out of those four, despite the rest of them. So I, I get that personally. I can see why other people perhaps wouldn't, but um, the ring would often usually come with some of the other belts. So yeah, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, 
but uh, Usyk holding three of the four is probably the ring holder as well. Correct. At heavyweight. So it that tends to go with that. So, but yeah, I don't disagree with you. But for me personally, and as a boxing fan and knowing boxing history, the ring is the most pre- prestigious. That's what, if I was a boxer, that's the one I'd want. Is the pre- most prestigious not technically none of the belts and uh, obviously you've had a big thing with Tyson Fury saying it for the last god knows how many years being the lineal champion of the world Uh, agreed and that again the lineal matters to some degree but I have a feeling the lineal goes hand in hand with the ring yeah I think so pretty much because essentially that the ring is the if you have sort of the first fight in the third because the second is doing something else with the lower ranking, then they can be the ring champions and so on and so on. It's so complex. As I say, can you imagine just having one, do it like WWE, just have one heavyweight champion, smack each other up, winner takes all. It it, it, it would make it easier. I totally agree. As you say, you're not going to get any disagreement on the principle for me. It's just, if anything, I'll be honest with you, I think I could see it going the other way and there'd be even more sanctioning bodies. Fucking, before you know it, it's five or six. But yeah, the ring and the lineal are, the the, the lineal I like because the lineal is basically you've got to beat the last person that held that lineal. So the lineal is still Tyson Fury because he beat the last lineal who was Vladimir Klitschko. We're going a little bit off tra- off topic, um, and again, we always tend to do with boxing. But quickly then, in terms of uh, Tank and Garcia, I'll give my opinion on it. I'll let you run wild. Um, give me this this sort of five-minute little period just because it's been a shit week for sports, so let me get another prediction wrong for you. Um, I really, really want Garcia to win this. Um, there's been years of... Uh, him watching fights fall apart and um, there are so many sort of, again, Usyk and and Fury, you've got, um, you know, Fury, Joshua, you've got all these different big fights falling apart and you've watched Garcia and you've probably watched a bit of Tank doing it as well. They've made every concession to make this must-see matchup get concluded and and get to that finish line. It's finally here. Um, both of them really, really unequivocally wanted the fight. And it would be very, very much in the sort of spirit of boxing to see Garcia, having pushed for this for so long, do the right thing, win this. It's going to be a very, very difficult fight because Tanks, and I saw someone else say this, a journalist say this, Tanks' fuck you power is unmatched in that division. He has a a very, very scary um, punch. And obviously, I can definitely see Garcia taking him out. And it's very, very likely that that, that Davis takes out Garcia. But I am going to go completely against the grain. I'm not going to go Garcia on the points, um, as a lot of people would have predicted as the opposite of that. I'm going to say that Garcia takes him out and Garcia takes him out in round nine or ten. I'm going to say knocks him out. Um, and we know what your predictions are like. So <laughs> uh, I, I think we all know how much uh, sort of relevance we should put on that. Tank wins it every day for me. 
not 100% sure he knocks him out. Could see it go in the distance because they're both very durable. If it was a knockout, I would be saying between 9 and 12. But Tank wins it for me, I would say. Not easily, but um, Tank, uh, Tank, Tank wins it for me. So Tank is the overwhelming favourite. He is two to five on Bet Three Six Five. Garcia, you can get around uh, two to one. Um, if if Davis wins this, if Tank wins this, it's not been on points. There's not a chance in hell that he wins this on points. If he wins, he sparks out Garcia. Um, there's actually probably for me more chance that Garcia takes it on points than anything else in that sense but I'm still backing Garcia by knockout. And if if you wanted to back that, I think you'd probably be able to get it at about just over three to one odds on. Uh, We all all know how fantastic your boxing predictions are. So I would suggest to any listeners, don't listen to an iota of what Daryl said and go with me on tank. Um, It's it's time for it all to change, Ian. This week, Leeds beat Fulham. I get better at pool. No one describes you as massive. Liverpool... Probably hopefully win. Uh, I would say lose, but I want you to win this week. And I get back board with all the predictions being correct. You'll see it happen. And I ask, what happens if Leeds lose to Fulham and Garcia gets sparked out in the first couple of rounds? Do I have to genuinely come round your house and check that you're not going to kill yourself? Is that the Samaritans? Can I just <laughs> can I just place a, a pre-booking for <laughs> Sunday night? No, uh, it, um, I'll, it won't I'll, happen. I'll be ringing Meg. Meg, take all of the rope out of the house. <laughs> Don't let him only have any hose pipes on his car into into the uh, thing. But um, I, I, say, I see Leeds getting a point personally. I think you're completely wrong with Garcia. I Don't see that happening. Well, fingers crossed, because if I get these predictions right, that is sort of the, the cycle that then begins to change for me. And life gets better. We don't have to make 17 different suicide references during a podcast anymore, and it'll be plain sailing. I hope you get the first one out of 30 right. I hope Leeds <laughs> win so that you feel a little bit better and that I can then crush you and beat you again at pool next week and drain your soul even more. So It won't um, happen because if those predictions don't come to fruition, I are playing pool again this year. Just giving up, just t- tapping out, just... Yeah, on life in general. But um, (laughs) I feel like that's a good place to cut it, Um, the podcast, not myself. Um, So thanks all for listening and we'll speak to you next week. 